0: You're listening to the N2K Space Network.
1: Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it.
0: A friendly reminder, while we may be getting used to hearing things like this, it is absolutely encouraged to take a step back and geek out over how cool it all is. It's amazing to think that two SpaceX launches bringing dozens of satellites to low-Earth orbit in just 24 hours is also really just another day in this new space era.
1: t 20 seconds to LOS. for deploy.
0: Today is Monday, June 12th, 2023. I'm Maria Varmazes, and this is T-Minus. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Why have one launch when you can have two? ISS solar upgrade complete. Budget constraints causing timeline woes? Try to act surprised. NOAA under commerce no more? And my interview with Aaron Myrick of the Aerospace Corporation on Moonlighter, which is the first ever on-orbit testbed for satellite hacking and just launched last week. Stay with us for that and more. Here are your items for today's Intel Briefing. Today, June 12th, we have two SpaceX launches on tap, one on the U.S. East Coast and another on the U.S. West Coast. As of the time of this recording, the first one already launched from Florida early this morning. 53 Starlink satellites aboard a Falcon 9 lifted off from Cape Canaveral, and the first stage booster has already made its safe return back to a shortfall of Gravitas drone ship. Later today, a little after 2 p.m. Pacific time, from Vandenberg Space Force Base in California, another Falcon 9 is due to launch. This one will be a rideshare mission, the Transporter 8, with 72 payloads aboard, most of which are headed to sun-synchronous orbit. We'll take a closer look at what's aboard Transporter 8 after it launches, fingers crossed, in tomorrow's show. And we chatted about this a little bit with our guest Liam Kennedy in last week's show, on Friday, the new IROSA solar arrays for the International Space Station have been successfully installed and deployed, thanks to two NASA astronaut crew, Stephen Bowen and Warren Hoberg. The IROSA, or Rollout Solar Arrays, are an upgrade over the previous arrays, and when they're all up and running, they're going to provide a 30% boost in solar power generated over the old solar panels. And while this was astronaut Hoberg's first EVA, otherwise known as a spacewalk, This was Bowen's ninth. He has now spent over 60 hours out in space. Wow. On our Friday show, we discussed the Government Accountability Office report on Pentagon procurements. It's a hefty report that we've been working our way through. Makes for thrilling weekend reading. And another takeaway from the paper was delays to the U.S. Space Force GPS ground system overhaul. The report suggests that although the USSF expects Raytheon Technologies to produce the needed equipment by end of the year, it will push the initial capability date to at least spring 2024. Increments 2 and 3 of the Next Generation Operational Control System, known as OCX, were due to be delivered in January, but technical discoveries during testing delayed the effort. Raytheon has purportedly incurred $123 dollars in additional costs as a result of the delays. The program also faces further delays due to budget constraints, as in physical 2023, Congress cut $75 million from OCX that was meant to be used to pay for more contractor support for Blocks 1 and 2. Space Force's Space Systems Command told C4ISRnet that they are waiting approval of the new schedule. And it seems that delays are also plaguing our friends in the space industry across the pond as BAE Systems' planned launch of its first multi-sensor satellite cluster into low-Earth orbit has slipped to 2025. Known as Azalea, the group of satellites will use a range of sensors to collect visual, radar, and radio frequency data, which will then be analyzed by onboard machine learning on edge processors to deliver the resulting intelligence anywhere in the world while still in orbit. The program supports the U.K. government's Defense Space Strategy, which named Earth Observation as a priority area to help protect and defend U.K. interests. Back to the U.S. now, and House Republicans have proposed a bill to make the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration an independent agency. The NOAA Organic Act is recommending to remove NOAA from the Commerce Department's umbrella with an aim to reduce political oversight. The bill would preserve the National Weather Service within NOAA, but leave the Office of Space Commerce within the larger department. Three former NOAA administrators have endorsed the proposal, and the idea behind all this is to avoid another Sharpiegate incident, and if you don't know what I'm referring to, then we suggest a quick internet search for your entertainment. We had Hawkeye 360's head counsel on the show last Thursday, and we're pleased to report that the company's Cluster 7 satellites have begun operation— less than two months after launching into orbit, no less. According to Hawkeye 360's press release, the latest satellite trio achieved initial operating capacity in record time after successfully launching into orbit on April 15th. The company's rapidly growing constellation can collect data up to 24 times per day, as often as once every hour, over a region of interest. Hawkeye 360 operates a constellation of 21 satellites that can detect characterize, and geolocate radio frequency signals from a broad range of emitters used for communication, navigation, and security. And continuing with our congratulatory theme, Capella Space has announced that they have been awarded a five-year blanket purchase agreement with NASA's Earth Science Division. The agreement will facilitate fixed-price call-off contracts valued up to $7 million per call, effective for five years from the date of the agreement. As part of the sole source contract, the SAR, or Synthetic Aperture Radar Imagery Provider, will allow NASA access to commercial SAR image products ranging from 0.5 to 1.2 meter ground resolution. NASA's Earth Science Division says the imagery will provide additional perspective for scientific research of Earth's interconnected systems and enhance the space agency's existing datasets. You know, it's difficult for many people to grasp how much we rely on space in our everyday lives. Now, my favorite is when we get asked, why we pay so much attention to space when there's so many problems here on Earth? I get that one a lot. At T-Minus, we do love an opportunity to explain to skeptics why space is so important, especially for Earth observation. NASA and the German Research Center for Geosciences released data from the GRACE-FO satellite, the Gravity, Recovery, and Climate Experiment follow-on, that shows water gains in California from this past winter. Data collected by the satellite shows that between October 2022 and March 2023, the massive storms that went through provided enough water to raise the amount of water within the state's Central Valley region by 20 inches. That's about twice as much as the average winter water gain since satellite-based water storage measurements began in 2002 with the first GRACE mission. And that is why space matters. And as much as I would love to end every intel briefing with happy news, I'm sorry to say we've got to end today's intel briefing with some Saturn news that reflects our current economic concerns. Colorado-based space companies URSA Major and OrbitFab both conducted layoffs last week as funding woes continue across the industry. And you can read more about that and any of the other headlines that we've covered today in the selected reading on our website, space.n2k.com. And that concludes our Intel briefing for this Monday. Coming up next is my conversation with Aaron Myrick of the Aerospace Corporation about Moonlighter, the satellite-packing sandbox now on orbit. And hey, T-Minus crew, Every Monday, we produce a written intelligence roundup, and it's called Signals and Space. So if you happen to miss any T-minus episodes, this strategic intelligence product will get you up to speed in the fastest way possible. It's all signal, no noise. You can sign up for Signals and Space in our show notes or at space.n2k.com. Now hacking a satellite is not something we would normally encourage anyone to try, but in this case we do, heartily. As of last week, there is a satellite up on orbit built exactly for this purpose, with the goal of being a teaching tool for space organizations and security practitioners to better secure space systems. Its name is Moonlighter, and let's hear now from the best person to tell us why Moonlighter was made and why it's important.
2: Hi, I'm Aaron Myrick from the Aerospace Corporation. I'm a senior project engineer and the lead of Moonlighter.
0: Thank you, Aaron, for joining me. I'm so excited to talk to you about Moonlighter. Being a former cybersecurity person who has now moved into the space world, this is like the combination of all things that I really love. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with Moonlighter, could you give me sort of the pitch of what it is?
2: Yeah, so Moonlighter started out of this project called Hackasat. And Hackasat is a joint effort between Space Systems Command and the Air Force Research Lab to uh, engage with the hacker community. A few years back, one of the the leads over at the Department of the Air Force went to DEFCON and saw that there was all these interesting people at this conference. It's a hacker conference that 30,000 people go to every year in Vegas. And there's all these interesting people and people working on very interesting problems. And what he thought was, hey, it'd be great if we could bring the space community into this sort of environment because space has always been sort of closed off from the rest of the world. So we wanted to open it up to the public and and engage the hacker community. And so Hackasat was started, and we've done several iterations of it. But one of the things that we really wanted to do in in Hackasat is to have a live vehicle to do this cyber competition. Hackasat, for those that, that aren't aware, is a cyber competition that is hosted for the public. There's two stages that we've done every year. For the past three years, this is our fourth year. So the first stage is a qualification round where we have people that uh, log in from around the globe and and participate in this Jeopardy-style hacking competition. So they're doing things like reverse engineering binaries. They're doing space math. They're doing some RF analysis. And these teams come together from both the space world and the cyber world. And we take the top teams from that and we go to a final event challenge. Past few years have been done on these things that we call flat stats, which are basically engineering models of vehicles, components, subsystems, Last year we did everything fully digital and all of our teams had a digital twin of, of a vehicle that was in the same game universe and they were competing and doing these challenges uh, for and and against each other. And so this year we're, we're really stepping up the game and saying, okay, we've done it on digital twins. We've done it on flat sats. Now let's do it on a live vehicle uh, because there's only so much you can do in a simulation environment. And it, it tends to be very expensive. The more things you try to do in a simulation environment, the more expensive it gets, the more complicated things get. And when you move things into a real world environment, you're you're taking things out of the lab and moving it into the real world. Um, that's where we wanted to go with with Moonlighter. And so Hackasat is going to be the first exercise, like a cyber exercise for Moonlighter. And we do intend on having follow-on activities with Moonlighter afterwards, after Hackasset. But Hackasset will be the first one.
0: So if all goes well, if it launches as expected, we're going to have, people will have a chance to actually work on it at this year's DEF CON. That's incredible. (laughs) That's such an awesome sandboxing opportunity. I can't even wrap my head around how cool that is. What are you hoping that folks will be able to learn through the actual hands-on is? I mean, for something in space is maybe not the exact right term. But what are you hoping folks will will learn from this elevated experience with with moonlighter?
2: So one of the things that that we really were trying to drive home with this is that is to bring the cyber community and the space community a little bit closer together. So hackers kind of do their own thing a little bit differently, and the space community has been pretty closed off. So, Part of this was an education of, of the public on how we build space systems and how this cyber community, how the hacker community, how the security researcher community can build out their own test beds and do their own research. Because what we're seeing in industry is that these boutique softwares and hardwares that, that have been built for space systems are not as boutique anymore. Uh, we see a lot more of the automotive uh, components, a lot more of the automotive software that has been developed moving into our space platforms, and so it's a different environment because you're not connected to a satellite in the same way that you'd be connected to a car or or a cell tower. Um, most of our vehicles spend their time out of contact with with the mission operations center. Uh, so it's it's a very different way of uh, of thinking about the security problem we're We're trying to get people smart about it, and try to educate ourselves and and kind of understand each other. And that's one of the big things we're trying to get out of Hackassat and Moonlighter.
0: This is a very basic question. Is Moonlighter, by any chance, like, is it purposely vulnerable? Or are, are there things built in there for people to discover? Or is this essentially as hardened as it can be? And we're, we're hoping that people can try to sort of throw themselves at it, for lack of a better term.
2: Yeah, so it's it's purposely vulnerable in some ways. So the we have what we call a cyber payload on there. So that is the true sandbox of where we're doing uh, these cyber activities, and the boundary of that is where we've tried to build in protections for the for the vehicle. So uh, we have the ability to shut off that cyber payload and reprogram it from alternate means that. We wouldn't normally build in when we're designing a vehicle. So in some ways, it's we build things that are purposely vulnerable, so that we have the ability to test out what happens when things are vulnerable and how do we recover our systems. But in another sense, we have built walls around that, such that we can recover the vehicle, and so it's not a one-off activity. And
0: I know that Moonlighter is is going to launch soon. Given that, you know, that's a huge milestone, what's next after that? What's what after DEF CON happens this year? What's the long-term plan?
2: Yeah, so we're planning events with other uh, industry and government people to test out different cyber technologies, different tactics, techniques, and procedures that would happen in, in cyber operations. So I like to think about cyber in a couple of different ways. So you have your cyber compliance, it's all the prep work, all the, you know, assessments that have to be done. And then there's cyber operations, which is, okay, now you've detected, so let's say you detect something or maybe you haven't detected something and things go a little bit sideways. Now, what do you do? How do you recover your system? How do you ensure that your your system is providing the service that you needed to provide with the level of confidentiality, availability, integrity that you desire? Uh, and so trying out different uh, tactics techniques and procedures in a cyber operations world is something that has been challenging for the space community to do and so we're we're trying to explore that as well
0: talking about TTPs for a moment it reminded me of a conversation I had with a, a, a colleague of yours Brandon Bailey about the Sparta framework and I'm wondering are any of the learnings from Moonlight are going to maybe play into that are there any plans around that or has Sparta come into play at all here
2: yeah. So I, I know, I know Brandon Bailey very well. Uh, and, and we've talked a lot. So he took last year's competition and mapped it out against Sparta. I'm not sure if he's released that publicly or not, but, uh, he, he's at least done that and I've seen it. We, we do talk and he's, he's mapped out some of the things from Sparta. And so some of the, what we're doing feeds into that. Some of, uh, what he's doing there, we take and we're like, Hey, I wonder what this would look like if we were to actually play out this scenario.
0: Anything else about Moonliner that you, you want to make sure you mention to the audience, maybe where folks can learn more or if, they, if they're if they going to be at DEFCON, what they need to do to maybe get involved?
2: Yeah, so uh, we'll be at DEFCON near the Aerospace Village, so we have a great partnership with them. Uh, so we'll have a booth there. Our, our five teams have already been uh, chosen for finals, but we do have all the information from past Hackasat events online at hackasat.com. We even have Git repos of all the old qualifying challenges, all the old finals challenges. Our competitors uh, have to do write-ups if they want to receive their prize package. So we are able to put all that online as well. So it's a great resource for for learning about all this stuff.
0: Aaron, I really appreciate you walking me through all of this and congratulations on all the work you've done on Moonlighter so far. And Uh, May it continue to be a great success.
2: All right, great. Thank you very much.
0: And we'll be right back.
1: And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.
0: And welcome back. Now the ocean is known for being a graveyard for vessels that failed to navigate the choppy waters. We all grew up with tales of famous shipwrecks, I'm sure, like the Mary Rose and the Titanic, one of my favorites, the WIDA pirate ship. But did you know that the ocean is becoming increasingly known for its collection of space debris? First, there's Point Nemo, a hidden graveyard lurking at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean where space debris has been discarded since the 1970s. Some 260 objects have been landed there by the United States, Russia, Japan, and European nations, and it will become the resting place for the ISS when it's decommissioned in 2030. And just last year, a History Channel documentary team found a 20-foot piece of the Challenger space shuttle off the coast of Florida some 37 years after the tragic explosion. And most recently, a fisherman in the Philippines discovered parts of a Chinese rocket recovered in Morong Bataan. The parts reportedly resemble a portion of the Chinese automated cargo spacecraft Tianzhou, now, this is the third recovery of Chinese spacecraft parts by Filipino fishermen in the last six months. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I wonder what they're going to bring home in the next catch. They might need a bigger net. And that's it for T-minus for June twelfth, 2023. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We'd love to know what you think of our podcast. You can email us at space at n2k.com or submit the survey in the show notes. Your feedback ensures that we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead in the rapidly changing space industry. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like T-Minus are part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, from the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Alice Caruth. Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester, with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Karpf. Our chief intelligence officer is Eric Tillman. And I'm Maria Varmazes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.